Hi, I'm Sonia Ariane, and this is Beyond the Numbers. Hey, folks. Chris Thompson here with another edition of Beyond the Numbers. On this occasion, my guest hails from Iran. She has a master's in philosophy from the University of St. Andrews. She's a filmmaker, a tech philosopher, the founder of the marketing agency Smart Cookie Media. She's a LinkedIn top voice of 2018 and the co-founder of a workplace training program for millennials called Career Drive. I'm talking about Sami Arai. I had the privilege of talking to her about all manner of subjects, including technology, generations, channeling pain, and career advice for those entering the workforce. Now, our chat was conducted in a restaurant, so at times I must warn you, there's a bit of background noise, but be sure to stick with it, for Somi is very well read, a fountain of knowledge, and she expresses some very interesting opinions. Hi, Somi. Thank you so much for joining me today here in the idyllic setting of the IV. Now, you're originally from Iran, is that correct? Originally, yes, that's right. And what was that like growing up in Iran? Well, this is interesting because it's something that I don't normally talk about. Uh, I don't talk about it in my content. And um, when I first came to the UK, I was actually approached by a very good agent who's since passed away. His name was Toby Eddy, and he had some very um, successful best-selling books with um, authors that came from different diverse backgrounds. And he really was interested in having me write about my life in, in Tehran. But it was too painful, um, so I, I started writing it and it didn't go well because I, I just wasn't ready to talk about it. So I I think in some ways maybe still not too re- uh, not not quite ready to talk about it. I, I do mention that you know I was born and brought up in Tehran and during the Iran Iraq War it was a difficult period and you know my parents were quite I would say traditional and. I grew up somewhere there was no money, you know, and I had to fend for myself. It was a difficult life. And I had some childhood traumas and, traumas and stuff. So I don't really talk about it too much. But one of the reasons why I don't really talk about my background as, you know, being from Iran is that I don't want to be pigeonholed into being that female you know, kind of diverse person. You know, I don't want to be invited to events to talk about being a diverse, a female from a diverse background. You know, I want to be taken seriously for my business philosophy and business business uh, approach. You know, to marketing and career and future and technology. So, really, my interest is the impact of technology on culture and on uh, human behavior. And the reason why I've been interested so much in millennials is because my generation, we grew up with technology. And even growing up in Tehran, that meant something very huge. Like if, if, if it wasn't for the internet, if I hadn't discovered the internet while I was in Tehran, I wouldn't be here today, you know? What age were you when you came to the UK? 20, just about 23. You hinted at some difficulties in those early days 
Do you think that's giving you the drive to 100%. succeed? 100%. So whilst it's difficult to talk about it, do you think it's made you into what you are today? Yeah, 100%. I mean, if I didn't have that kind of upbringing, if I didn't have the pain, I actually i am just creating content for my new YouTube channel. And one of the things that I talk about in it is that motivation comes from pain. So no amount of listening to motivational content is going to help you be motivated, become more motivated. So actually the title of that episode is Stop Listening to Motivational Content. Because when you do that, in some ways that is going to become a source of distraction, if anything. The reason for that is that there are so many that well, in, in that uh, video I talk about it in more detail, but essentially I'm saying that there are a number of reasons why motivational content can be counterproductive. One of those reasons is that it will stop. See, motivation comes from pain. And when you listen to too many of these types of content, then that's noise. It becomes noise in your mind. In order for you to be able to listen to your pain so that it becomes a source of creativity, you need to have a quiet mind so that you can feel your pain, right? I love my pain. I don't want it to go away, right? So a lot of times I want the suffering to go away, but I don't want the pain to go away. And when I meditate, I often think about the fact that I'm so grateful for my pain. And please, please, I don't want to have a day in my life when I become so comfortable and so... I don't, want to, I don't want to see a day in my life in the future that I become maybe so comfortable, so successful, however you imagine success, right, that I don't feel the pain anymore. No matter how successful I become, I want to still feel pain. I love my pain. The pain your pain is your sense, uh, source of creativity and growing up, I grew up with a lot of pain. Is it your sense of drive? Yeah, the pain becomes fuel. Yeah, pain is fuel. I like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pain is definitely my fuel for, yeah, and my drive. Now, you made the documentary, The Millennial Disruption. Very interesting that we're talking about pain and drive. There's a huge amount of stuff about millennials out there in the workplace, consumption, which you cover in your documentary. Do we, in this country... And maybe in the West, do we have uh, generations who've had it maybe quite easy. quite easy, too easy, perhaps? 100%. 100%. I know that's a well-splurged line, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah no, I've, and I feel... I think What is too easy? Having a lot of protection growing up, you know, and, and I think it's not, normal, it's not so much about it being too easy. What really, I would say, is a problem maybe... I'm a bit worried about saying these things because I, I don't want it to be taken the wrong way, but it is my opinion and my observation, observation, right? So it's just my observation from what I see and when I compare my own background with people that I'm here, is that the Western culture has put something in place that is always about minimizing pain or, or getting rid of pain, right? Even when I talk to my boyfriend, for example, as soon as I say I have a headache, he's like, take painkillers, right? So you don't necessarily need to 
take painkillers, sometimes it's good to feel pain so that then you can think about the source of that pain. Right? If you if you try to just kill the pain all the time, you would, you don't even get an opportunity to uh, explore it and to see why you're feeling that pain. So I'd say the Western millennials, people you know that grew up that are, I mean I'm an older millennial, but People that grew up maybe with a certain level of protection, you know, just the fact that you are able to just travel easily. I only became a British citizen in 2015, and until then, my life didn't start, you know, because I couldn't travel. Really? Yeah, I couldn't. Even though I was in the UK, I couldn't travel easily. You know, I would have to um, get a visa every time I wanted to get and go. Even to, for example, I was doing my my album. In Germany, when I was at the time, when I was in heavy metal band, and it was such a huge headache, level of stress, just to be able to travel to Germany and having to get a visa and, and you know extending it every few months. So it sort of makes you really appreciate. So now, when I have a British citizenship and I'm traveling, I'm like, this is a huge achievement in itself. You know that I've managed to make this. Transition and I waited for 11 years because I didn't ask for asylum. I didn't want to ask for asylum because I came here as a student. And then I started working, I managed to get a visa and I managed to stay for long enough so that then I could get a British citizenship. But yeah, it was just being able to travel. I mean, we've mentioned generations, millennials. Obviously, this is not necessarily their fault. And what we're really actually talking about right now is parenting, right? That's right. But you, you know what? It was if when you study the past, and which is what I did quite a lot when I was doing my documentary. When and also I've studied political philosophy, so I've studied the Western philosophy quite a lot. So I know quite a, a bit about how things have changed over time, right? So what happened in the 1950s with the emergence of the middle classes, that was a natural evolutionary path. It was like, you can't stop evolution, you can't stop progress. So it's sort of, what what we're lacking, it's not that we're, we're not, what we're lacking here in the West, it's not that we need to go back to being poor and being, you know, have a painful life. No, it's to do all of those things and not lose our mindfulness of what we are experiencing. Progress is a great thing. I don't want to be a poor person, right? You know, I don't want to be, you know, uh, like in a similar kind of more, uh, sorry, life environment that I grew up in. I left Iran because I hated the closed culture in many ways and I hated my environment. I literally hated it. It just was painful. Okay, So I'm not saying that you you need to go back to a lack of progress. What I'm saying is to try and appreciate. See, one of the things that has happened in the Western culture is that and in the world, to be honest, not just the Western culture, in, in the world, it's just a natural progression of technology, the way that it has made our lives easier. One of the things that happen, that has happened is that we... Have we got really lazy? That's just a symptom to what I'm trying to say. Yes, we have a... I've not gotten lazy. Every day I work on that to try and not... I'm, I'm referring to we <laughs> but, but as people. I understand, yeah. but, but 
But being lazy or being perceived as lazy, that's a symptom of a deeper problem, which is what I'm just about to, to refer to, which is there's a fact that we have put more emphasis on intelligence rather than emotional intelligence. Okay, that is the problem. So now we are going to see the, um, the things that are wrong with that. You know, we are going to see the downfall of that. But as artificial intelligence is getting to a point that is super, superseding our intelligence, you know, right. and therefore it sort of as it raises the question, so what is left for humans to do? Oh, that emotional intelligence and that, you know, focus on human consciousness that we have neglected for all of these years, all of a sudden it's coming to light that actually maybe we should have paid as much attention to our emotional um, states as we paid attention to try and become more intelligent and, you know, improve our technology. Because now we're getting to a point, especially in the West, we're getting to a point that we uh, that our technology is taking over and it's becoming it's becoming more intelligent than we are. So in some ways it just that is the problem. Yeah? So 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 the problem of being more lazy or being more complacent or however you want to put it, that's just a symptom of the fact that we neglected our pains. We just tried to kill the pain. And it's also a symptom of the fact that I put more emphasis on our intelligence rather than our emotional intelligence. That's fascinating. I have so many questions off the back of that. But what I'm thinking is that life is, life is full of events. I covered this in a previous podcast. And some of those events will be both good and bad. So inevitably, whoever you are, or almost whatever generation, there are going to be difficult moments in life. Are you sort of saying that obviously pain will happen? It's the ability to absorb it, process it, deal with it, yeah. learn from it, and move on. Yeah, 100%. The thing is that um, every generation, no matter who you are, where you live, every person has got pain. We can choose to um, switch switch into it and kind of like tune into it and make it work for us, or we can choose to try and ignore it. And is, pain is not messed up, right? And so, is the issue today that people have an inability to deal and cope with their pain because of the things of parenting, technology? those sort of influences? I think the biggest problem is not so much that they can't deal with the pain, it's that they are not aware of the pain. Because, especially with things like social media and with distractions, right? So, the moment you feel any kind of pain, you can play games, video games, right? Or you can play, uh, you know, or you can watch Netflix, or uh, you can... It's, it's, there's so many ways that you can distract yourself from the pain. Right? So one of the things that uh, episodes of my new content that I'm working on on YouTube channel is about how to deal with procrastination. And my suggestion for dealing with procrastination, and this is based on studies that I have uh, looked into and uh, 
new ways of thinking about how to deal with procrastination, is that actually the best, the best way to deal with it is to just sit down for 15, 20 minutes and do nothing. But nothing, right? So most of the time when people are procrastinate, they actually are busy doing something. They might even be busy doing something related to work, right? For example, it applies to me too. I'm not you know, perfect. It, the only difference is that I know when I'm doing it and, and then I try to deal with it. So, for example, right now, I'm finishing, uh, I've been working on two courses. One is a digital marketing course for like, B2C and one is B2B, which is specifically for LinkedIn and Sales Navigator. Now, the part which is for LinkedIn, I need to uh, record the screen record. Uh, I, do a, I need to do a re screen recording of my LinkedIn so that I can explain. I hate doing that part. So I keep putting it off, right? So I so go you and kick do the can down the road. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, exactly. So I go and do something else that is related to work. I don't necessarily, you know, I don't play video games. It's one of the difficulties maybe was that, you know, as I was growing up was that I never had those things, you know, I, um, yeah. for so many reasons I never had. Not that because, not because it was not coming in Iran, but it wasn't, uh, accepted in my family so I had we didn't we were even the last people to have a TV in the house you know so like all of the neighborhood had TV before we had it which is so ironic because now I'm so interested in technology but so yeah going back to your question is um, I think the biggest problem is that we distract ourselves so that we, we try to kill the pain through that distraction are we Addicted now to distraction. Hundred percent. I think that's a huge problem. So, I mean, even even I experiences sometimes where I felt like I literally couldn't put my phone down. Right. So now I, when I'm going to bed, I just put my phone in the top floor, and I go and charge up there. I don't bring my phone into uh, the bedroom. I have my iPad. I have removed all social media applications from my iPad, there's only, I can only read books on it. And I know that if I read the book on like a black background, it will just make, me, make my eyes really tired and, and I feel sleepy and that's my bedtime. <laughs> but we are, yeah, we are addicted. We are, you can be addicted to anything, you know, like I'm addicted to, and I mean, it's something that I've been into being with and I've been thinking a lot about. Um, I'm addicted to achievement. And that's what Indeed. has been the driving, you know, point from there. If you see a picture of where I was born, like the street where I grew up, you would not believe that now I'm here and I've got people like the, the chief marketing officer of BBC coming to my business breakfast, you know, to learn from what we have studied in children and what we are working on. So that's, that's achievement. But in my mind, it's never enough. Nothing is ever enough. One thing I noticed in your documentary, you start in the sort of 40s, 50s, post-war, post-Second World War. And if you look back then, that was the beginnings of entertainment really starting to reach a mass audience, the beginnings. And if we then fast forward to today, everybody almost has a TV, as in a smartphone, on tap. And everybody has, therefore, has entertainment all the time on tap. Is that what you're referring to in terms of pushing pain away and being distracted? 
That's right. You never have the amount of options and entertainment available as you do today. And it's not just about consuming content. You could even be addicted to shopping, you know, or, or window shopping, online window shopping, right? Sure. I guess where I'm going with this is there's an element of productive consumption to learn and to absorb things and then action things off the back of that. And then there's entertainment, which is leisure time. Yeah. And is that the issue? Yeah. So, again, in the, the video that I'm creating about motivation, one of the things I talk about is that you need to be careful that it doesn't become pure escapism because sometimes you could be listening to motivational content or even to you know business um, podcasts right i i went through a phase like of <laughs> yes but but everything you do you've got to think about doing it mindfully and thinking about is this really going to benefit me right now is this something i need right now and in many cases you probably do and, but there will be a lot of cases where after a while you become almost desensitized to it and then it becomes pure escapism. So you really want to be uh, very careful. And I have this concept of responsible content creation and content consumption. So you've got to be uh, very tuned into when it becomes too uh, much of an escapism and it becomes not very productive anymore. And the way that I usually encourage people to think about is that even if you are not a content creator, if you're not, you know, you don't have to be a YouTuber or, you know, a LinkedIn um, content creator or whatever, but try to balance between creating content and, and consuming content because even if you're not putting that content out necessarily on the internet, just reflect, like, put, set aside times where you sit down and say, okay, you know, I've been, for example, binge listening to the, the podcast series of this person um, that or like I've been binge reading books about this topic topic okay what did I learn sit down and, and write about it remember when we went to school I mean we did that in in Iran I don't know if they do it here it's, it's like note-taking note-taking right? but but for example you would you would study stuff and then you had exams or you had um, you know assignments where you would have to reflect on what you learn and and write about it. like write a summary of book right so what happens is that after a while you realize that there are patterns you that are emerging between those content and those patterns show you that maybe you've learned everything that there was from that person within that particular amount of time. for example i went through a phase of binge listening to gary Vaynerchuk, and then and then i went off it because I felt like I was pretty much hearing the same things over and over. So then I thought, okay, I'm going to wait for a while and see, you know, like maybe listen back to see if there was anything new. And I did. And I absolutely love Gary. I think he's had a huge impact on my um, approach to uh, business and, and everything. He, he is brilliant. He is, yes. he is amazing. And that's why, you know, he's very to the point as well. A hundred percent. But even with Gary, even like even with the most incredible so like another one that i went through a binge uh, series with was yuval noah harari because when i read his i read his three books sapiens homo deus and 21 lessons for 21st century which i think they're all amazing my favorite was homo deus and after that i started listening to a lot of his talks and lectures and i thought 
it was like a, a week of maybe over two weeks of like binge listening to you well now, you know, all right. And then I thought, okay, I think I know everything he's got to say. I'm going to move on, which is why now I'm writing my book, you know, and that's why I create my own content so that then I can reflect and put my own original uh, spin on the things that I learn and recycle. And in many ways, sometimes I find that I don't actually agree with that person. You know, like there's certain things about you well no, I already I absolutely love his work, but at the same time I feel like he Briefly, what do you disagree with him on? Briefly. You know what it is? I don't it's not that I disagree, it's that he's a professor. Mm-hmm. He doesn't use social media. Right. Right. And I have two master's degrees, one in political philosophy and one in uh, transatlantic studies. So I come from a um, academic background. And I wrote 14,000 words thesis on um, Nietzsche and Kant's philosophy and all that stuff, right? So I completely understand where he's coming from. I was in that academic environment and I decided to come, to come out of it because I feel like people that are always in academia, they could miss a, an aspect of social media, an aspect of technology that you can only experience if you are a practitioner. And in the same way, there are things that maybe I disagree with Gary Vaynerchuk because he doesn't have that background, right? So, so on the academic side, they might miss social trends. Yes. For those in maybe the commercial world, they might miss some academic theory that could be applied back in. Is that exactly. what you're saying? Exactly, because I studied philosophy and I have studied pretty much all of the Western philosophers that are, um, you know, I studied like first history of philosophy, but my... I'm a Nietzschean. Uh, my um, favorite philosopher is Nietzsche. And, um, Why? Uh, it's very complicated. I just. I, is it too complicated or too long for this well, podcast? Uh, <laughs> people who know Nietzsche will probably know. I guess I'm. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's so complicated. Um, okay. I just really, really agree with his philosophy on so many levels brilliant okay so there's something i'm noticing here is that you're talking about consumption for learning we've talked about entertainment why is it that with the internet we appear to have the bank almost the bank of all human knowledge yet it feels like people are consuming 0.001 percent or even less than that purely in entertainment and the like. What, where is that going wrong? Given the amazing opportunity there to, to learn and action things off all that knowledge there, why are we it's human nature. making it's, that er- er- error? It's, it's, it's human nature and it's essentially your brain is protecting you from pain and is protecting you from, from work, making you work too hard. Because in many ways, your brain has evolved to preserve energy, right? Your brain doesn't want you to spend energy on trying to learn things that are maybe uncomfortable. It it makes you want to do things that are easier, right? So that's just a simple fact of evolution. You're evolved to do things that you're good at. You know, you're evo- you've evolved to do things that are easy to do, rather than bring yourself out of that kind of inertia, right? So, so to bring yourself out of inertia, it takes 
it's, it takes conscious uh, decision and it, it takes it kind of um, like you need well, to uh, bring your brain into a higher level of consciousness you know, to be able to bring yourself out of inertia. It's like you, you, I mean, you come from a mathematic, mathematic background, right? So I don't personally, but my colleagues math, do. Okay. Yeah. So, so like numbers, numbers, financials. Yeah, you come from, yeah. Yes, exactly. So you know about the law of Newton that is like if an object is in, in inertia, it takes a stronger and bigger object to stop it or to make it go into a different direction. It's the same thing with the brain because when you're using your brain in a way that is more comfortable to you, whether it's you know, consuming content, entertainment, that's your brain being in inertia. In order to take it out of inertia and change course or stop, that's why I'm saying you know that it's good to sit down and do nothing for 15 minutes. Thinking time. Thinking time. Yeah, I think Steve Jobs used to walk around the block. For thinking time. Yeah, I would say that my my most profound observations, thoughts have always come from Always. Okay, I think what you're referring to here is comfort zones. And I have a friend who's a personal trainer, and he regularly yells exactly at me and same. others. Yes. He says comfort zones are dead zones. Yes, I was I was a fitness model when I was a student in Scotland. It's a long story why I went into doing that, but um, I learned so much from my physical training that I apply that to my mental training because I always think. It's, it always reminds me like it's exactly the same. It's exactly the same. I'm doing exactly what I did with my body and how I was able to come out of my comfort zone and you know, like develop a certain kind of whether it's you want to develop muscle or whatever it is, right? It's exactly the same process that you apply to your physical training that you need to apply to your mental training. So what would your advice be to young people who are either in the workforce or about to enter the workforce, what would your advice be to them with regards to everything we've just spoken about? So, there are, this is exactly the topic of my book, which I'm going to write about. And um, essentially, I, this is what my advice is. First, I say you need to understand the career landscape, you need to understand. The past, the present, the future, where it's going, as much as possible. The second thing is you need to know yourself. You've got to know yourself on three levels. On a physical level, on a psychological level, and on a global level. What that means, the global level, is that your relationship with the world, you need to know what the world needs right now. What are some of the problems that we are having right now? And one good place to start is to look at the 17 goals of the United Nations, between now and 2020, 2030, right? 2030, because those 17 goals will, they have spelled out some of the problems that we have. For example, one of those problems is consumption, you know? So we need to you know, look at a responsible consumption. So you can choose one of those things and, and work on that. So for me, my interest is from those 17 goals, I chose responsible consumption and I apply that to content. But I'm also working on, and some of the, one of the things I'm developing hopefully for future, something that I'm working on is to look at the possibility of how 
fashion could be produced in a way that is just made to order. And, and that we, you know, one of the biggest problems in fashion industry is that it's overproduction. So the company is overproduced and then they have to get rid of it. That's one of the areas. So if you look at those 17 goals, there are so many um, clues as to how to do it. And then the third thing, so we said, first, know the career landscape. Then yep. know yourself. The third thing is there are three skills that you need to develop. And those skills are critical thinking, emotional intelligence, and mindfulness. And what do you mean by emotional intelligence, for those who don't know that? Emotional intelligence is, yeah, emotional intelligence is understanding yourself and knowing why you feel what you feel and then having an understanding of the other person's feeling. Empathy. Empathy is one aspect of it, right? So it is, empathy is definitely one aspect of it. But I think even, even understanding, just, just even thinking it, just like asking yourself, this person, you know, for example, you have come here today, you know, to do this interview. So just have an understanding, a basic understanding of what is it that is driving you, you know, and how can I, in some ways, make it a bit easier for you, make it so that you can benefit from it, right? And that's why all of my content, everything that I put out, Pretty much, I mean, I, I almost don't have promotional content. And if, if I do, if, like, for example, with my course, I'm going to put some advertising money behind it. But if I do, then I'll be very, very clear about it. Then I'll say, hey guys, you know, you've been consuming my content for this long. If you're interested in my course, then I'm going to So just always thinking about what, what is the other person? What is it that they read? So promotion is like the last run of the content ladder. Sure. One of the things that I talk about a lot, and we, um, this is one of the things that we do as part of the strategy for our clients, is that there are three layers to content. There's your story, there is the custom story, and then there's product. You almost don't need to talk about it. You know, it's more like an umbrella. It's just what so makes everything else. The reason why I put it in the roof of the house is that right. I say because that sells and that's what puts a roof on everybody's house, right? Sure. But really, it's the biggest part is the building up to that. Yeah, but but the biggest part is a custom story because some people fall into the some people make this mistake where they start to talk too much about themselves before they have actually proven that they've got something of value for their customers. So. Although your story is the base, personally, I don't have much content about my story. Um, I just let the fact that I have an accent be a, you know, um, an indication of the fact that I come from a diverse background and all that. We all have accents. <laughs> all of us have accents. But but mo- like I'd say, ninety percent of my content is about what it means to them, to my target audience, you know, what, how this, how, how can I help them? For example, I don't really post showreels. I don't even have showreels. You know, one of the things that people in my industry do is that they post a lot of, you know, things like showreels and, and like, or case studies. I don't even do that because I don't need to. I'd rather focus, because I'd rather focus on what is beneficial to my client or my target audience because 
why do they need to know my case studies or why do they need unless it's showing how it will be beneficial to them but the most problem that was what i was going to say if it it highlights their issues and the solution yes but the problem is that most of the time those type of content turn into advertorial yeah and you don't want to do that be very clear either you are advertising or you're just giving value now giving value comes in two, two shapes one is that you're purely entertaining and the other is that you're educating but maybe with a hint of entertainment just kind of like what you're doing right yeah so but sometimes it's purely entertaining and there are certain products that for that it works but if I had to choose, I would always say have an element of education. How did you get into film and TV production? Tell me about that. Yeah, so I didn't come from a film and TV production at all. I had no background in it. I did my master's in philosophy and politics. And uh, then when I started working TV, I was working for a media listen channel based in London. It was like the Persian My TV. Okay. So over there, there was a lot of for producers or people who had a potential to be a producer, who had the, you know, producers are set the kind of people you have to be able to deal with a lot of stress and, you know, they are, and you need to be able to manage people and you need to be quite selfless, you know, because you're not in front of the camera. You're not, in many cases, director. I mean, I, I then trained to become a director as well, but initially started as a producer. So they needed people like that. So I, I pretty much learned on the job to be a TV producer. And I had to very quickly go into being a senior producer because they needed people. So I was just thrown in. And the way I learned it was that my boss would just shout at me all the time. And, and I would hate him and I would cry, you know, but I learned. I learned so much. So it was pain. Yes. But in some ways it was good pain because you took a lot from it. Yes. Right? Yes, that's right. One of my most favorite business, I would say, role models. I don't have many role models in my book. I have a few. Yeah, two, three. Uh, and one of them is Ray Dalio, and he talks about this. He says, pain plus reflection equals progress. I like that. That's very good. It's very, very good. (laughs) Very good. So that's how I learned uh, production. But then uh, being a producer is not the same as knowing how to deal with cameras. So a lot of people that are producers don't necessarily, producers and directors don't necessarily have the knowledge of being cameras. So I had to learn those things when I started my own company because at first when I started, I didn't have crew, I didn't have, you know, money to hire people. So I had to learn to do a lot of work myself. How did you go from that to starting your own business? Call it to start with, I guess, a production company. So at first it was a production company. Yeah. But then... Because of my research on how the market is changing, I realized that there was a very short shelf life for that. Because if you were only, and for all of the people out there that are listening to this, that are from that kind of background, there, if, they, if you're running just a TV or video kind of production company, you're finished. You know, maybe you don't know Why? yet. Because um, of automation in some ways, because then, you know, cameras have made it um, become so much more easy for people to deal with. And for a lot of... Um, so, so we're all filmographers now? In some ways, but, but you may not necessarily have... Not, not that necessarily, you're not going to have the 
skills of a professional filmmaker sure. and you are most importantly this is what, something that I talk about in my course most importantly you are not a producer the most important aspect of creating good content is having a good producer so if you're going to do everything in house still try to hire a producer most people go out and try and find a filmmaker like they've got everybody can call themselves a filmmaker in some ways because being a filmmaker there's so many aspects of it you know there's you could be a camera person call yourself a filmmaker you could be a director call yourself a filmmaker you could be a producer yeah but the one most important thing that you need is a producer because you are not a producer yourself right you need somebody who can package this and say how are we going to use this how are we going to you know, create something meaningful out of it. It's, so it's not just about being able to put a, a camera with like a lens that is has a shallow depth of field and you know autofocus and you sit in front of it and talk. That's not sustainable in the long run. If you have a producer, they'll be able to. Okay, sure. So you you learned all this kind of the hard way. Yes. <laughs> being shouted at a bit. And then you started out on your own. Why the focus on technology, millennials? What what drew you to that? So when I was studying, uh, when I was doing my MPhil, uh, I did a lot of research on complexity fields. Another thing about Nietzsche's philosophy is that even though he was like over like a century ago, um, he was around. He had some very interesting ideas about how the society evolves and, and so I started to look into that a lot more and that sort of brought me to something quite modern which is about complexity theory and, and chaos theory. So complexity theory explains why when individual members of a society or an organism or an organization are connected, they behave differently. It explains how patterns of behavior emerge. And this was in early 2000s, right? And I'm thinking at that time, oh, 2005, 2006, when I got into this. And this is like the boom of Facebook, as, as you know, Facebook was about to become, uh, just like take over our lives and I saw that I remember it well <laughs> and, 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 and that was when I thought oh something very interesting is happening with uh, technology here and because people are connected so this is going to affect how they behave this is going to at the time I was thinking how it's going to affect people's political behavior and um, yeah because I'm studying political philosophy right and it did yeah and it did exactly and uh, then, when I started my own company, I thought, okay, I can't be just a video production company because that's finished. Because the way that things are going, you know, there's no long-term future in that. Unless I use that, go back to my previous background and use my five years of TV production um, skills, take all of that, bring it all together, and present my target audience with data and with research that just puts me in a different level, on a different level in my industry. One of the things I always thought about is that you're sitting on a mountain of information, you just don't know how to use it. So I thought, okay, how am I going to use this to really benefit my target audience? So that's what I did. And uh, I put it all together. So I had that kind of thinking background, the philosophy, the 
Very interesting. So it's kind of a case of knowing what you know, knowing your audience, yes. knowing their pain points, and connecting the two. Yes, and then trying to figure out a way to benefit them. Right, yeah. a product or a service, yeah. Think about what you've just described. You're almost more like a marketing agency now yeah. than a production. Yeah, yeah we are. Yeah, yeah. That's what, that's officially, that's what we say now. A content strategy. Yeah, we are a marketing agency that provides content strategy and we create the content. And then, of course, now there's a second aspect of my work, which is about workplace behavior and emotional intelligence. Very relevant. Yes. And and the reason why we went into that direction because was because I realized all the research that I had done was really relevant to that area as well. And then we started working on career drive with my business partner, who is an MD at a Fortune 100 company. You know, then I started working with them on developing career drive, which is a platform where it teaches people to, uh, it teaches interpersonal skills, essentially. Which was the very thing that we were talking about a bit earlier. In terms of understanding what you can have lots of knowledge, but now you need emotional intelligence. And the reason for this being what? Because business is about people and relationships. People has yes, business has always been about business and relationships, especially in B two B. More in B two B, I would say. Right. B two C, you could get away with you know being Coca Cola and almost creating these religious like adverts that just pretty much hypnotize people into like buying into your product. Um, even in B2C now, it is more about uh, connecting emotionally because things have changed. But it's never been as important as it is now because of artificial intelligence and because of how technology is making it easier for people to get whatever they want. So the way that you uh, differentiate yourself from your market is by having that emotional engagement. Interesting. Now, your documentary, it's called The Millennial Disruption, it's quite disruptive in how you put it together. Can you describe that? So what's happening with technology and artificial intelligence is that it's disrupting almost every industry. And a lot of companies, they haven't even figured out yet the impact of the internet, right? So the internet disrupted all of our lives and, and us. So in, for me, in a good way, but you know, it, like everything else, it has had good and bad impacts. It has disrupted our lives in very profound ways, and it has changed the nature of how we do business. And a lot of companies have not even come to terms with that yet. And even before they have come to terms with the impact of the internet, artificial intelligence, blockchain, quantum computing, all of these things are on the horizon. 3D printing? Exactly, 3D printing. All of these things are on the horizon, completely, just completely revolutionizing and, and disrupting our lives again. And it's happening right now, and it's going to be happening more and more. Like within the next five years to ten years, you know, 
I feel like in some ways our society is going to be unrecognizable again. You know, so the difference between what's happening now with what happened in the early 2000s is that it's just now it's on steroids. You know, it's like change on steroids, and that's why I called it the millennial disruption. Not necessarily just about the millennials, but the millennial disruption, like the year 2000, you know, and, and that decade that was also so it had double meaning. So really, your documentary is about technology, it is about, first and yeah. foremost, it's and how people are consuming it. It's more about, it, it is about technology, but not all technology, it's more about internet, right? So, so I haven't even started talking about AI, which is something that I will talk about a lot more in my, in my book, and I'm doing a lot, a lot of research on that right now. So... I think it's really important that you become curious about these things and you think about them. You know, and think how are these um, technologies going to impact? But for example, a lot of fashion uh, brands are finished. They don't even know it. They don't know it yet. But they're finished because of three D printing. That's just one aspect. In general, like in there's so many ways in which the industries are changing. That even even on a very surface level, if you think about you go on Instagram and you're constantly having so many options from these brands that you've never heard of that are offering something new, something different, you know, and they last for like ten minutes. We have so many options, and that's one of the reasons. The other reason is that this whole overproduction thing. It's not sustainable. It's just not sustainable. Is, is this what's leading to this sort of chuck it society? Yeah, absolutely. No value in any object or thing, like a lack of an, uh, emotional attachment to things. And one of the things I talk about in my documentary is that we don't keep things for as long as we used to, right? And it's partly because of the subscription models and the constant upgrades. But, but that whole concept of looking after things, that is going away. That's why, that's why I'm interested in luxury, in a, especially sustained luxury. I love Batman. <laughs> I can't do okay. anything about it. Like, this, my jacket, you know, this is the sort of thing that I, I really treasure and I'm like, it means something to me. Like when I wear my Batman jacket, you know, I work hard to buy it and, and you know, I just love the tailoring and it's just so unique, so different. So, I think that, you know, the You appreciate the craft, design and effort that goes into producing this jacket that I can see in front of me here. Yeah, it's a very nice jacket. <laughs> Is there a sense that somebody like you, people in marketing, can really help these brands because they have this amazing story and this amazing amount of effort and production and art that goes into some of these things? And the story... Is that what they need to go forward, to survive, to thrive? It's not just what they need. My observation, sadly, has been that many of them are too audacious and they think they don't need it and they think they're not going to be effective and they're not connecting to They haven't recognized the pace of change. No, and they are not connecting with the younger generation and they can be forgotten, you know. But there are certain names that, if you say that name, to a um, young person walking in the street, have you ever heard this name? They probably will tell you, like, this, I don't know, it sounds like a solicitor, but it's like some really high end, you know, 
I, I have experienced this in the workforce, yes. You know, so, so I just feel like they haven't recognized, a lot of them haven't recognized, they think that they're doing it, but they're not doing it. And they, they're just ticking about and just getting by. And there are, they are hiring people, calling them digital head of digital marketing or whatever, who doesn't even have a social media account, or who never goes and posts anything, or doesn't interact with people. If you are a head of digital marketing, and you don't have an active LinkedIn account constantly connecting with people, talking. You are not fit to be a head of digital marketing because because digital marketing, social media, is like it's about being a practitioner. You need to be a practitioner. You need to understand how not too visible, but actually understand how the algorithms work. Understand how people respond to things and and have the thick enough skin to actually stay and have a dialogue with people even when they so okay so obviously AI is very much with us and developing blockchain there's a question as to the applications coming from it and 3D printing is gathering momentum what, what do you see looking into the future what do you see obviously I don't have crystal balls what I see what, what were your opinions, yeah, your yeah, thoughts? Yeah, I, I Given what you I, know. Considering that I'm a couple of years I'm going to take back to that and say it's less about more yeah, mechanical things, but it's more about thinking about everything that's happening on a big picture level, right? So I would say that the most important thing that is going to happen is that there's a very high likelihood that the middle classes are going to disappear. Completely. Well, it's completely it's changing. Yeah, it's it changing. sure has changed in yeah. the last so thirty years. Yeah. I think that the, we are going in the direction. My observation is research. I feel like we are going to see middle classes going. Um, it's not going to be the way it was. So what what middle classes were really about in some ways was um, that the survival of the average. But we're getting to the point that everything that is average is being replaced by uh, AI and by cheap labor, obviously. Even that cheap labor, even that cheap labor overseas is going away. Being automation. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, so, like right now, for example, um, there are lots of things in our business that, for my own content, for example, the mixing of the audio for my new YouTube channel. I just put it to somebody overseas who's doing much cheaper. Why do I have somebody who is going to charge a lot more here? But it's the reality that I know people might hate me for this, but hey, I come from that background and I would like to be able to, you know, provide maybe a week's worth of chicken for somebody who is living in that country and I will tip them happily, you know, but in the end I walk away with a quarter of what I would have paid for somebody. So it's exceptional or nothing. Yeah, so even exactly, exactly. You know the way I put it is that there's going to be a huge pilot population pushing sidelines. Yeah, and so this is this thing about a, a universal income. Yeah, and it's a very, very, very 
concerning for you because extremely it is yeah and it's, it's one of the things so if you are thinking about if you have kids like I do the it's prospect so, of that is frightening it is so frightening that I decide not to have kids <laughs> seriously seriously I can't turn back the clock yeah, but that's why I, I'm like the world is overpopulated, you know, we're already, we're approaching 8 billion, yeah. and, the, and the way that things are going, if you have, just Google United Nations prediction of um, the growth of population, the population. Yeah. It's, it's really, really it's scary, so population is increasing, and there are more and more people that are going to find a role in the And yes, technology is going to bring new jobs, but not, but those jobs are going to be fairly short, um, short lasting. So the way things are going, you know, the technology is moving so fast. Too fast. Too fast, yeah. It's hard for people to catch up. So by the time you need to you know, you're, you're becoming skilled in that job. That job no longer exists. So you need to retrain yourself. Yeah. Okay, I think that's a really good point to wrap it up. Thank you so much. A big thank you to Somi for joining me. You can find her on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at Somi Orion. Her marketing agency is smartcookiemedia.com. And her workplace training business is careerdrive.co. Be sure to tune in as we'll be back with another conversation. In the meantime, do subscribe to Beyond the Numbers on your preferred podcast app. You can get in touch using the hashtag Beyond the Numbers and you can tweet me at ThompsonCST and at WellersSME. Beyond the Numbers is a Wellers production. I'll leave you with another quote from the late, great, three-time Formula One world champion, Ayrton Senna. The harder I push, the more I find within myself.